This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, December 28th, 2022. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Electric vehicles are poised for mass adoption. We'll cover that in our next segment. But first, setting up a plan to automate your savings and investments, well, that could be a game changer. Joining us with some key advice is Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth group here in Chicago. Ed, I think the most daunting part of automating our finances is just getting started. Rachel, that's an excellent point. I'm glad to be with you today. That, that's the most challenging part is what do I do next? And you know what the great part about this is, is that technology has made it really simple for us to automate a lot of things in our lives, not only paying bills, but most importantly, saving for the future. So if I set up an automated savings uh, account, what exactly does that look like? Is it an automatic withdrawal? Do I get to set the amount and really just sit back and watch the money come in? Yeah. So for most individuals who have uh, wages, so you generally have your checking account be the recipient of your paycheck, right? So it's an automated deposit. And so one of the things for automated savings is once it hits that main account, you can automate that to then put those monies, let's say, into an additional savings account, earning interest today, and also just building up over time where you're not having to think about what's going on. It's just automatically happening in the background where, like you had mentioned, it goes from a small amount to a large amount because you're not really thinking about it. It's automated. Man, I love that out of sight, out of mind. It is so convenient once that system's sort of set up and in place. And and not only can we see that with our savings accounts, but I'm thinking this is also applicable to, say, maybe our 401k. Yeah, another great place to automate. And, And so always looking at percentages and not dollars. We highly encourage folks with retirement plans to utilize a percentage-based approach, 5%, 6% from that standpoint. And more and more 401ks are um, allowing automated increases. So every year, your automated, automatic savings goes up a percentage or two, which again, out of sight, out of mind. And generally speaking, over time, you get a raise. And so you're generally saving more money with that automated uh, savings amount going into your 401k. Obviously a very handy tool to have in, as far as proactive pay, but I'm also thinking sort of on the retroactive side of things. Let's say I've got credit card debt. I mean, I know I struggle with remembering <laughs> to every month, pay it down, and you can set up an automatic payment to sort of pay off that balance too. Yeah, exactly. Just automated savings and automatic payments. And so one of the things to, on the debt side, yes, if you can make automated payments so you don't forget But if you've got too many cards and you're trying to remember too many uh, dates when those bills are due, think about maybe consolidating those cards or just using less of them as well. So we want to simplify things on all fronts 
both savings and investing as well as debt payments and making that those debt payments automatic can also be helpful to help you avoid uh, additional fees and or additional interest. Now, what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about if we're deciding to, to take that first step and set up an automatic payment system? Do we need to be thinking about interest rates? Do we need to be thinking about, is our income going to change over the next you know, 12, 24 months? And will that impact how much we're contributing to these things? Yeah, another great point. So if you figure January of this year, virtually savings was earning nothing. Today, thank you, Chairman Powell, savings and saving rates are much, much higher. So don't let accounts... Don't let savings just sit in a stale account earning next to nothing. You can get three plus percent savings on interest. So if your bank's not being competitive, look for other institutions where you can earn more money on your money, but also make sure it's easy to use. And that technology, again, embracing technology to be able to move monies around can go a very long way in terms of helping you build monies, not only for today, but in the future. And and I also think that people are going to, once this is set up or if they already have it in place, I mean, they'll tell you it it is just so easy and it is so rewarding to then be able to look back. And I mean, you don't notice that money being taken out if you're not looking for it. So it's nice to just be able to look back and say, oh, I'm so glad I did that for myself. Thank you past me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I can share with you a lot of our clients when they get towards retirement, oftentimes they're like, I have no idea how we were able to save so much. And that's generally because they automate their savings, mm-hmm. that they're, they're consistent, they're diligent, and every month they're putting something away for the future. And when the future comes, as you said, they're like, thank you, prior self. Thanks so much. Ed Jertson will thank you. Uh, our future selves will thank you as well. Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. His website, engagewealthgroup.com. Coming up, electric vehicles are here and widespread adoption is right around the corner. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There are a lot more electric vehicles on the roads these days, and they aren't just Teslas. We welcome John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. John, my eyes don't deceive me. You're saying that there actually are a lot more EVs out there and a wider variety at that. That's right. You know, Tesla had sort of cornered the market, but now you've got EVs coming out from General Motors, Ford, eventually Stellantis, but especially Hyundai and Kia. They're, they're really going off to the races, as well as Volvo. Volkswagen's in there as well. So we're seeing more consumers buy more electric cars. Now, Kelly Blue Book is estimating that EVs accounted for just under 6% of all new vehicles sold last year. And that doesn't exactly sound like a lot, but I guess compared to just a few years ago, it really is soaring. Yeah, I wouldn't call it soaring. Not yet. That's to come. So next year, General Motors, for example, is really going to crank it up and get a lot more EVs on the road. We're really not going to see soaring sales, I guess is the way you put it, till around 2025 or so. That's when we're going to see a flood of EVs hit the market. And as well as you know, there's the Inflation Reduction Act that's going to offer pretty generous subsidies for electric cars as long as they qualify. That is, the vehicles will have to be built in North America, and their batteries will have to be built in the United States. The vehicles that qualify for that can get up to a $7,500 discount, dollar discount, and that's really going to help sales even more. Help us understand the, the trend that we're already seeing. Is this supply that's forcing or that's suggesting more sales? Is it demand? Is it both? Well, look, uh, d- demand is through the roof in, in one way. You know, Ford had to cut off orders for its electric F-150 pickup. It just couldn't meet the orders. 
uh, others have run into the same problem. And, you know, it's a, the same issue has been going on in the auto industry with the chip shortage. There's a little bit of a battery shortage right now, too. So there's just not as much supply as there is for demand. That'll start to ease a little bit next year. But like I said, 2025 or so is when things are really going to get hot. Now, do you think to uh, Tesla obviously comes to mind because it is solely an electric vehicle manufacturer, but obviously you mentioned other automakers that have introduced EV lines. Moving forward, do you think that that's really, do we, do you expect other independent or solely EV manufacturers to come onto the scene? Oh, sure. And there already are. So for example, there's Rivian located in the state of Illinois where it's building pickup trucks and SUVs, all electric. There's another company called Fisker that is going to start selling cars in the first quarter next year. Uh, They'll be imported from Europe to begin with, but then they're going to start manufacturing them in Ohio. And Lucid, which is based out in California, is making only EVs. And there's a few others that are struggling to get started as well. I mean, they're already uh, existing as car companies, but they're still struggling to get their manufacturing going. So more are on the way. Well, and I guess that's what's encouraging, because as you mentioned, demand is so high, and and currently there just isn't supply to keep up with it. That's right. I mean, but there's other things, too. You know, the the charging infrastructure isn't all that great, with the exception of Tesla, which went out and built its own charging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So that's changing more and more. uh, Public charging stations are getting built literally every single week. Uh, But, you know, for most people it's still not comfortable enough yet to buy an electric car. You've got the early adopters out there, and and, uh, they're snapping up every one they can get. But before they go mass market, that's going to take another three or four years. Thanks so much, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst at Autoline.tv, based in Detroit. Up next, we'll take a look at the health of the local housing market. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Home sales continue to slide. Joining us with a local look is Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch here in Chicago. And Steve, help us understand the latest report on, on U.S. pending home sales, and then we'll sort of shift to a local look. Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. Yeah, it was uh, pending home sales declined about 4% last month. Uh the problem here is that's gotten to the, be the second lowest level of this index in the last 20 years. The only month that it was lower was April of 2020, and that was obviously that uh, first really big month of the pandemic downturn. So it's uh, just a, another sign of the really big cooling off in the housing market that we've seen. Now, that's good news for the Federal Reserve, right? This is sort of pointing into the right direction. Well, if if the Federal Reserve is thinking of housing as as most folks do, that is being a leading engine of the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as this as housing cools, you're going to have to worry about it. They, however, don't at the moment show much signs of wanting to back off these rate increases. And obviously that could be a problem. We've had some relief from higher mortgage rates in the last couple months, but uh, everybody's still on pins and needles about whether those rates are going to go back up as the Fed continues to hike. Well, let's talk about what this means locally and, and what we're seeing with pending home sales in the Chicago area. So Chicago uh, home sales uh, are on the decline as well. Uh, we saw about a 35% decline year over year in November. 
uh, for home sales in the metro area. And the predictions are going into 2023 that we're going to continue to see those sales declines. Um, That is not, however, yet translated into price declines, although the pace of home price increases uh, is cooling off. We're still seeing uh, home price increases year over year, and we're expecting them to be higher in the Chicago region a year from now than today. Is this just that sales maybe aren't going through, or there are there really significantly less prospective home buyers out there? It's it's probably three things. One, there's just a shortage of inventory still. Uh, we saw an uptick for a, a couple of months, but now inventory is on the decline again, so there's not much choice. A lot of home sellers who are locked in with very low interest rate mortgages are reluctant to put their home on the market and tackle a higher rate if they don't have to. And home buyers still not seeing a whole lot of relief on the mortgage rate end are, are facing struggles in being able to afford housing. So all three of those are, are combining to keep a pinch on the market. All right. Well, Steve, I'll ask then for your prediction on maybe a timeline for this all to, to turn around or, or where we will see more potential sales and more home buyers out on the market. So it looks like from the Illinois Realtors perspective, at least the first half of 2023 is going to be slow on the sales end. It seems like it'll pick up in most of the state going into the second half of the year. At least that's the prediction. Chicago, however, may not see much of a pickup until the end of 2023. So it's going to be almost a year here where we're going to be in the doldrums. Thanks so much, Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch here in Chicago. Still ahead, we'll give you some money moves that investors say you should consider before making the year's end. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The CEO of Southwest pledges to get the airline back on track after thousands of flights canceled yet again today. The death toll of last week's winter storm that affected over half the country reaches 59. Residents of a Hyde Park apartment complex were forced out of their homes due to a power outage just five days ago. WBBM business, the markets are lower, the Dow down 164 points, the Nasdaq off 71, and the S&P 500 down 21 points. AccuWeather says it's going to be a bit windy today, but warmer than recent days, a high of 42 degrees. It'll feel more like the 20s. Mainly cloudy tonight with a low of 39 degrees, then cloudy again tomorrow, a high of 52. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as the CEO of Southwest Airlines attempts an apology and an explanation following a multitude of flight cancellations that left holiday travelers beyond frustrated. I'm truly sorry. That is Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan in a video released by the airline after thousands upon thousands of flights have been canceled so far this week. He's trying to explain why all the cancellations for the country's largest domestic airline. With our large fleet of airplanes and and flight crews out of position, in dozens of locations 
And after days of trying to operate as much of our full schedule across the busy holiday weekend, we reached a decision point to significantly reduce our flying to catch up. That catch up involves some 8,000 flights canceled between Monday and Wednesday. Matt Piper, CBS News. Officials say that the winter storm death toll has risen to 34 in New York's Erie County as emergency services crews continue to clear roads and first responders check on people they couldn't reach days ago as the catastrophic weather system swept the nation. At least 25 others across 11 states have also been reported dead in that storm. 26 of those who died were found in Buffalo, which was buried within nearly 52 inches of snow, trapping residents at home, many without heat as that blizzard took out power lines. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are trading lower today. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Chuck Carlson. He's CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. And Chuck, let's talk about what you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today. Well, what you're seeing is uh, kind of the effects of uh, a few things. At this time of year, you have pretty thin trading as a lot of folks are, are taking the break this week between Christmas and, and New Year's. So there isn't as much trading vol- volume, and thus you can have small things kind of move markets like we're seeing today. Second, you have another cross current, which is kind of tax harvesting, where this is the last week where investors can sell losers to offset winners to reduce their tax bill. And, and also you had a quarter-end window dressing by portfolio managers to kind of shape up their portfolios. Uh, so when they report their holdings, they, they have in there what they want their, their investors to see. And then finally, you've got kind of repositioning and rebalancing where investors are kind of setting up their allocations for the new year. And that all adds up to kind of a mix of the sort of kind of volatility that we'll probably see, uh, you know, for the remainder of today and probably for the remainder of this week. Well, and let's talk about that volatility, because most of this year's major uncertainties will likely still be in play into the new year. I'm thinking specifically about, say, you know, uh, world issues, right? There's COVID cases in China. The war in Ukraine continues. We're still seeing a tightness on energy supplies. It's not like that's just going to disappear come January 1. No, that that won't. And, and for that reason, you should expect the volatility uh, to continue, you know, at least through the first half of next year. And, and the biggest drivers, quite frankly, are the market volatility. I mean, you, you uh, said about some of those factors, but the biggest one is going to continue to be what's the story with inflation and how is the Fed going to be responding to what they're seeing in inflation? Is the Fed going to continue to focus on wage inflation and, and continue to raise rates until it impacts the labor market? which in turn will impact uh, wage inflation, uh, and how long is that going to take? And that's, that's really the important driver, I think, of what the market is going to, to be in the first half. Remember, the three main factors that drive markets in sustained ways are interest rates, inflation, and corporate profits. Interest rates, inflation, and corporate profits. And right now, all three of those are probably tilting on the, on the bearish side of things. So that's probably what we're going to see more of, at least in the first half of 2023. Now, you mentioned bearish, and Chuck, I know that you closely follow the Dow theory. So tell us about if why we're in bearish and what needs to happen to, to maybe turn things around. Well, the Dow theory, as you mentioned, looks at the performance of the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Averages. And from the movement of those averages, discerns whether the market's primary trend is bearish or bullish. It has been bearish, according to the Dow theory, for the last several months, indeed for most 
of 2022 and we go into 2023 still on a bear market signal. What The first thing we really need to see from a Dow theory perspective in order to give some hope for 2023 is uh, both the Dow industrials and Dow transports hold their, their late September lows. If they can hold those lows, that would be the first step in moving the trend from bearish to bullish. So, you know, watch those September, I believe they were the September 30 lows in both of the Dow transports and industrials, and hopefully the market can hold those lows here. And then finally, Chuck, I want to pick your brain. Who wins the battle, growth or value? I think it's going to be another value year, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, value had underperformed for so long that there's still some reversion to the mean left, I think, for value to come back in, in growth. And second, if you still believe inflation is going to be a story for the market, at least through the first half of 2023, uh, inflation basically really kind of constricts price earnings multiples, and that really impacts growth stocks. So it's going to, inflation is a real headwind for growth stocks. I think there still will be an inflation headwind for that reason. I think value is probably, if I were tilting portfolios, I would tilt toward value here, at least for the first half. Always appreciate the insight. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services based in Hammond, Indiana, author of Winning with the Dow's Losers, his website, UpsideStocks.com. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll talk about money moves to make before year's end. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And before we move into 2023, there's still time to make some of those last-minute portfolio changes. We welcome Tony Ogorek, founder of Ogorek Wealth Management in Buffalo, New York. Tony, I'm guessing you dug yourself out of the snow to be with us today, so thank you for doing that. Very kind of you. Hey, Ray, I pay people to dig me out. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't dig. They had to use front loaders to get out. I just have to tell you, it was like being in an evil snow globe for two days straight. The winds were unrelenting, and it was just a very nasty experience. But we're going to get a heat up like you are. We're going to get to, you know, 50 in a day or two. So hopefully that'll help. Well, I'm glad that you can be here with us and, and offer us some tips. What, what kind of last-minute changes can we make at the end of 2022 here? Uh, Rachel, I think, uh, you know, a, a couple of them are, are biggies. Uh, the first uh, and this you only have to do once a year, and this is probably a, a decent time to do it, is to rebalance your portfolio. So as an example, if your portfolio is, let's say, 60% stocks and uh, 40% bonds, uh, you may find that the stock you know, portion has declined more, and maybe you're at 55% instead of 60 So what you do is you're actually buying low because things have gone back, move your allocation back to 60-40 stocks and bonds, and that'll position you well for the coming year. So again, the strategy is, you know, buying low and, and selling high. Uh, conversely, if you had a big year, you know, like uh, 2021 was, you would end up selling some of your stuff because it was maybe at 65% stock and bringing it down to 60 now, there's also um, a way, too, that we can sort of take advantage of, of, of tax loss harvesting, right? Using our losers to sort of help balance out the winners. Yeah, that's a big deal because, you know, some people, you know, for example, if you're in a higher tax bracket uh, and you experienced a loss, you know, you may get back up to a third uh, of that loss in terms of tax selling. So basically what it says is that if you've got gainers in your portfolio and you've got losers, you end up selling the losers to offset the gains. Hopefully, you're able to produce a net zero for the year. 
Uh, in the event that you produce more losses than gains, you are able to take $3,000 a year against your ordinary or, or salary income. Uh, so that, that's a, a benefit for people also. Now, we also know that, that there was some coronavirus relief aid that was available to investors in the past year. Whether or not that continues into 2023, are there any uh, aspects of that that we can also take advantage of now? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in that, um, in that specific area. I will say uh, that for many people who've, uh, you know, who've had uh, issues with the uh, coronavirus and coronavirus aid, uh, their best option, I think, is to contact their accountant because these are tax law changes. And uh, in the event they're eligible for anything, their accountant would be the best person to, you know, give them a hand on that. So, Tony, if I'm hearing you right, really, the next few days are going to just be about tidying up, tying up those loose ends, making sure we've got uh, a nice, pretty bow on our portfolio come the next year. Yeah. And, you know, also, Rachel, you know, there's been a big hammering of uh, Tesla, you know, which is a widely held. I think 60 percent of the you know, the stock is held by retail investors. The stock has really been hit. And I think, you know, part of the reason it's under pressure right now is a lot of people are doing tax loss selling, which you mentioned, uh, to offset some gains in their portfolio. So some of these stocks that have been under pressure likely are going to continue to be that way uh, through the end of the year. That's Tony Agoric, founder of Agoric Wealth Management in Buffalo, New York. And Tony, I hope that the uh, the snow troubles are now behind you and you're out of that, what did you call it, an evil snow globe? That's right, my dear. It was evil. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, good things are coming your way in 2023. Thanks so much, Tony. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. Plus, still to come, a contrarian look at the financial markets. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stock ownership among U.S. households has dropped in a big way, and that's actually a bullish signal for stock market contrarians. Joining us to explain is Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Mark's based in Washington, D.C., and we're glad to have you with us. But first of all, I want you to help me understand what exactly a stock market contrarian is. Well, a contrarian is somebody who says when everyone else is very, very optimistic, it's a bad sign. And when people are profoundly pessimistic, it's a good sign. So that's why they're, they're known as contrarians or contrary to what the consensus is among everyone else. So let's look at where uh, stocks are currently as we head into year's end. Help us understand where they're at and, and what the contrarian take on that would be. Well, it turns out one of the indicators that has the best historical track record is the one that you mentioned in the intro, which looks at the average household's uh, exposure to the equity market. And it, when households are very, very exposed to stock market at a high level, that is a bad sign. Historically, the highest level of average household allocation was at the top of the Internet bubble. And uh, we got almost as high, within a tenth of a percentage point, as high at the beginning of this year, which, of course, was the top of the bull market before this last year's decline. So those are the two most optimistic times when households have been. And uh, the question for a contrarian is, has that very high exposure level at the beginning of the year started to drop down? And the latest data, which I report on on a column this last week, is that the data have come down markedly, which is, from a contrarian point of view, a positive sign. 
Okay, but here's the thing, and I want this our listeners to understand, that, that to be a contrarian doesn't necessarily just mean doing the opposite. You've explained it just now. You're keeping just such a close eye, evaluating the market conditions, building your case, really stepping back and looking at larger trends. I think that's a very ex- important point to make. This is not a short-term uh, timing indicator. It turns out that uh, the Federal Reserve is the source of the data on what the average household is doing with their portfolios. And it turns out that that it is only updated quarterly and even then with quite a time lag. So the latest data we just got from the Fed is through the end of the third quarter. So this is not anything that's saying the market is about to turn around. But it is a positive sign that it has dropped back. If households had maintained that very high level of equity exposure that that the average household had at the beginning of the year, it would be a much more pessimistic omen for the future. And that sort of leads me into my final question here, and that is, what is the timeline for this kind of viewpoint to pay off? I'm guessing that we mentioned it's not an immediate decision that you come to. I'm guessing it's also not an immediate reward. That's exactly right. And in fact, the the econometric tests that uh, look at all the indicators that have found that this actually has one of the best, if not the very best, long-term track records in the stock market is when it's predicting a 10-year forecast. So it basically is saying that the next 10 years are much more optimistic now than they were at the beginning of the year. Thanks so much, Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com based in Washington, D.C. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.